0: Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to like perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are. Wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. B117 may sound like the name of a Star Wars character, and if it were, it would likely come from the dark side. B117 is the name of the coronavirus variant first identified in the UK in December, and now it's in Canada as well as dozens of other countries around the world. Scientists have also found other strains in South Africa, Brazil, and more recently Southern California. Officials warn these variants could drastically drive up COVID cases. So this week on The Dose, we're breaking down what you need to know about these new strains and what they could mean for your life and the trajectory of the pandemic over the next few months. To help us answer the question, what do I need to know about the new COVID variants? I'm joined by Dr. Samira Mubaraka. She's an infectious disease specialist and virologist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto, where we've reached her. She just happens to be with a Canadian sequencing network which detects and unpacks these kinds of variants. Dr. Mubaraka, welcome to The Dose. Hello, Brian. Sam, I remember from my microbiology classes that viruses mutate all the time. So what makes the variant B117, first discovered in the UK, so notable?
1: Well, you're absolutely correct. That is what viruses do. They change on a regular basis. So the viruses that we're seeing circulating now during the second wave are not exactly the same as the viruses that we saw at the outset of the pandemic or during the first peak. So really it's not that surprising that these viruses are changing over time. What's important to note about this particular variant is that it's associated with a change in what we call phenotype so some kind of functional change or uh, affects either disease or transmission and that's exactly what's been noted in the UK is that this particular variant the B117 is associated with enhanced transmission
0: how infectious is it
1: there's a range of numbers and people are citing numbers around 50% or 70% more transmissible. Of course, you know, this is very difficult to determine because at the population level, there are a whole bunch of other factors that go into it as well, such as human behavior. And certainly it's, it's clearly enhanced in terms of its transmissibility. And that's why people are very concerned. So even though it isn't necessarily causing enhanced disease or, or severity of disease, just by sheer volume, by sheer numbers, there could be increased uh, morbidity and mortality, so sickness and death, because there will just be more infections.
0: So, but does it by itself, if you get infected with this new variant, are, are you going to have a more severe case of COVID?
1: So at this point in time, there's no evidence to suggest that. So at least there's that to be grateful for. Um, having said that, there is the possibility or the chance that we may pass it on to more people compared to if you were infected with one of the um, lineages or variants or viruses that were circulating uh, prior to to this B one one seven emerging at least in the UK or with one of the other uh, lineages that are circulating currently in Canada.
0: We're all familiar by now with the shape of the coronavirus, you know, from those diagrams that we've seen, you know, the ball of spikes. Why is this variant that we're talking about right now B117 more contagious? What's what's changed on the ball of spikes?
1: There are a number of changes actually for B117 across the whole genome so it includes a a, a number of other proteins but of course you know, the one that everyone's focused on is the S or spike protein. And that S or spike protein does sit on the outside of the virus. We've all seen uh, renditions of this virus. And the reason that that part of the virus is so important is, one, it's part of the virus that actually binds to the host cell receptor. So for the virus to infect uh, humans, it needs to get into our cells. So that binding, if it's strong, it has potential to enable enhanced entry and replication. Now, we don't know exactly what single or combination of these changes are responsible, but the other reason people are quite concerned is because the spike protein is the trigger for immunity. So it could be natural immunity. If any of us get infected, we make antibodies, and a lot of those antibodies are aimed at the spike protein. Similarly, we've designed vaccines against that spike protein. So the more changes there are either within the receptor binding domain or other parts of the spike protein, the more worried we get.
0: Worried because uh, if I've got this right, if the COVID virus mutates enough, if that spike protein on on the surface of that ball mutates enough, then then the antibodies that that our bodies have produced in response to the vaccine might not recognize that spike. And and that's and, and therefore that new variant might be capable of infecting us. That's that's the fear, isn't it?
1: That's the fear. Now, fortunately, when we make antibodies either to natural infection from from the virus or in response to a vaccine, we make what we call a menu or a a range and the more technical term is polyclonal antibodies. So fortunately there's enough redundancy there that it wouldn't go from, let's say 95% effectiveness for the, or efficacy for the, for the vaccine to zero. Fortunately, it's not all or none. And again, both with vaccination and with natural infection, we make a fairly wide range of antibodies. So, so that is somewhat reassuring. Again, having said that, it's so important to keep looking for these changes, because if we accumulate enough in key areas of, of the spike protein, then we need to start thinking about, okay, do we need to actually change our vaccine?
0: So that might happen at some indistinct point in the future, which we hope will be far, far away, but not now
1: exactly we all hope it'll be far far away I mean I really don't know to be honest what the long range looks like for vaccination for for coronaviruses we have ample experience with influenza virus and our understanding up until now is that the rate of mutation of coronaviruses compared to influenza virus still slower it's not as fast but again we're it's sort of comparing apples and oranges because Influenza viruses have passed through, you know, generations and generations of humans for centuries. This particular virus is new to the human population. So we really don't have a good sense yet what effect human immunity will have on viral evolution.
0: Let's get back to talking about the basics about B one one seven. It's still transmitted the same way through droplets, right?
1: That is a very important question. I don't know that we know the answer to that. I mean, we're thinking most likely it's more transmissible because of enhanced replication. There's some what we call preclinical or animal data to suggest at least one of the changes might possibly do that. But we don't. No, I think it's important to test whether or not this particular variant might survive better in air or is there any chance that it resists certain types of disinfection? Perhaps it, it can persist on surfaces longer. These are all really key tests or experiments that need to be done so we can try and hone in on potentially why it's more transmissible.
0: Let's talk about, you know, we've been talking about B one let 1. Let's talk about the other variants, the ones discovered in South Africa and Brazil. How contagious are they?
1: So there is um, certainly significant concern that the South African variant is more contagious. There's much less data available on the lineage or the variant that was um, identified in, in Brazil. That was a little bit more recent as well. It's been a little bit more difficult to pin down those numbers, but certainly the rise in the South African variant has paralleled the rise in cases. Uh, in In that area, as well, so one is uh compelled to believe that there is enhanced transmission. A similar picture is emerging in California I mean there have been a surge of cases and and now we 're seeing these you know another variant emerge in California, but again it's so hard to judge because we 're seeing a global peak or
0: wave we'll be right back There are confirmed cases of b one one seven in Ontario and Alberta, and confirmed cases of uh, B1351 uh, in Alberta and BC. What do we know about whether these strains uh, are spreading undetected through communities here in Canada?
1: That is a key question. We need to understand where we are on the epidemiological curve. So, are we at the point where it has just entered the country and we've been very fortunate in identifying some of the early cases? Or is this just the tip of the iceberg? And there are many more cases throughout the uh, various communities, um, and it will vary according to geography. We really don't have a firm sense of that we certainly have identified it in individuals who have either traveled or been exposed to travelers and and there have been cases which are thought to be community acquired so there's no clear travel history associated with those cases but what proportion of all cases are b117 let's say today we don't know so you know there are various approaches that can be taken to do to try and understand this uh they all lead towards more sequencing. So sequencing is when you actually decode the virus from beginning to end. So you know the entire genetic code from start to finish of the virus. Now, this is technology that's readily available, but it's not inexpensive and it's not ubiquitous. We're aiming to sequence at least 5%, if not more, of the positive SARS coronaviruses detected in Canada. Well, it's critical that not only we detect it, but that we also pass on the information to the epidemiologists and the modelers who can use that information to try and understand, you know, what the rate of, of spread may be. And then subsequently what the impact could be on people's health, on the healthcare system, um, and ultimately even the economy.
0: Sam just so that I've got this straight what you're saying is that just 5% of of the tests for, for COVID-19 in this country uh, uh, they're actually testing to see if it's if it's the B117 uh, variant for instance so for so just just to put this in really simple terms if I went to a COVID testing center right now and got a nasopharyngeal swab a swab up my nose would it be tested for B117
1: It depends on a couple of things. So if you were an individual who had a history of travel, if this was potentially a reinfection, if you had been recently vaccinated, there are a number of different criteria. Ideally, you would be flagged and your sample would be tested.
0: What worries you most right now about these new strains?
1: I think the biggest concern for me is not knowing how how prevalent they are out there. I would feel much better if we knew where they were and exactly how much we have to deal with. It'll be really key. We're already looking at fairly ugly projections for the next month or so, Uh, again, depending on where you live. But if we have a firm grasp of what proportion of positives are uh, variants with enhanced transmission, we can plan better. In my mind, this is a public health emergency. We really need to define this. Secondarily, the more sequencing we do, the more variants we're going to find or the more changes in the virus we're going to find that we'll have less of a firm idea of what it means. And I think understanding what new variants may come up, what they actually mean when you find them, is going to be really
0: key. Taking into account everything that you've said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that the US Centers for Disease Control says that B117 could be the dominant strain in the United States by March. If Canada goes in the same direction, if, and, and, and if B117 is more infectious, that could overwhelm our healthcare system.
1: Well, that's certainly the greatest concern that we have. And we're very fortunate in that we have started vaccinating in Canada. And um, someone characterized this as as a race between the vaccine and the variant. I don't know if it's that straightforward, but it really emphasizes the important role that each of us can play. There are things that we can do to prevent this virus from spreading, whether it's lineages that are currently circulating in Canada are one of these variants of concern. Vaccination is going to be really key, we've already started on that road, fortunately. But there are things that each of us can do to really mitigate or prevent the spread. Every time you, you block a transmission, uh, no matter what the means is, the less of a chance that it gets to spread further.
0: So, what should officials and governments be doing to stop these strains from overwhelming our healthcare system?
1: I think preventing travel that's not necessary is one start. I think surveillance and detection um is excellent, but it only works if you can intervene at the public health level. so there's it's much more effective for for groups like our own and, and public health labs to identify these variants if it means that it's done in a timely manner that also allows public health to to track and trace and prevent ongoing spread.
0: With these strains in the news and some pretty worrisome headlines, frankly, our audience is beginning to ask, I think, some very practical questions Surrounding the rules that we have come to to be able to to recite, you know, staying six feet apart, and 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 you know, sh- should we be wear- and and the masks that we wear? Um, do we throw out the old playbook? How do we protect ourselves on a person to person basis uh, from these new variants?
1: You're absolutely right. It does call into question whether what we've been doing is sufficient or not. Uh, the challenge is really delineating what does need to be done. I don't think there's any question that, that that what we've been doing is is at minimum what's currently required. We certainly don't want to pull back from that. You know, there, there has been a, a proportion of individuals who have not complied with that guidance. I think it's important to underscore the need to at the very least continue to physically distance, to wear masks, to decontaminate surfaces and to wash our hands. Like there's no doubt in my mind that those are all absolutely essential. Does more need to be done at all of those levels? That is a a greater, more important question. Recommendations along those lines need to be backed up by data. And so ultimately, I guess the bottom line is we need those data. We need to start doing the work that's required to determine whether or not those interventions are sufficient. But I think at the very at the very start, we really need to make sure that everyone is following those. I think as long as people are making exceptions, are, are bending the rules, or worst case scenario, not following them at all, it's hard to even start talking about enhancing them further.
0: As it is, Sam, I think it might be scary for our audience hearing that what they're doing is the bare minimum in the face of these new variants.
1: Yes, when you're talking about something with enhanced enhanced transmissibility, it's really key to think about the part that we can play in mitigating spread. I suspect that some bad decisions were probably made, particularly over the holidays. I don't know that people are necessarily equating those decisions, which may seem minor at the time. I don't know that people really associate that with you know long-term care outbreaks down the road people in critical care uh, death these outcomes that no one wants to see any more
0: of so at the very least we all have to this is even more reason to follow the guidelines you know you uh, just taking up something that you said previously some have called this a a race between the vaccine and the new variants so virus or vaccine who do you what do you think is going to win?
1: Well, Bern, I'm an optimist, so I really I'm I'm rooting for for the vaccine and for the fantastic science that's gone behind developing the vaccine. I think a rapid rollout. This is really another catalyst to spur on rapid rollout for the vaccine. And I know people are working incredibly hard to make that a reality. I think it's absolutely key that we let this you know, swing into action as quickly as possible before this variant really takes hold.
0: Well, Dr. Sam Mubaraka, given your expertise, I find it very reassuring to hear that you're an optimist. And I want to thank you for speaking with us.
1: It was a pleasure, Brian.
0: That was Dr. Samira Mubaraka. She's an infectious disease specialist and virologist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. She's also a collaborator of the Canadian Sequencing Network. New variants of COVID 19 have arrived in parts of Canada. B117 is the one first identified in the UK, and B1351 is the one first identified in South Africa. Others from Brazil and Southern California may be here as well. Doctors suspect that the new variants are being spread from person to person in Canada. There are fears that in time they will become the dominant strains of COVID 19 in this country. That's because they're more infectious than the current strains. It means that if you come into contact with someone infected with, say, B117, you're more likely to get COVID 19 from that person than you would if the person were infected by a previous strain. The good news is that these variants do not cause more severe illness and do not cause more deaths. Still, as B117 and B1351 become more commonplace in Canada, it means we could be seeing a lot more cases of COVID. The other good news is that doctors believe the Pfizer, Moderna, and other vaccines will be quite effective against the new strains of COVID-19. Here's your dose of smart advice about the new variants. Since they are more infectious, it's now more important than ever to follow public health guidelines. If you skirt rules like physical distancing and wearing masks, you'll be much more likely to get infected if you're in close contact with someone infected with the new strains. To know just how widespread the new variants are, the provinces should do much more testing and surveillance. Finally, the fact that doctors think the vaccines are likely to be highly effective against the new strains is one more reason to roll up your sleeves. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose@cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat black art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith and Donna Dingwall with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks once again to Billy Heaton for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose...